going to dive into the message today. I don't know if the message notes are going to help you or not, but you can pull out your phones and take some notes. Uh, I do want to continue a series. We've been in a series entitled, I Believe in God, But. I Believe in God, But. How many of you enjoyed it? Uh, last two weeks have been great. If you missed it, you can go back and listen to the podcast. You can watch the video on YouTube. Uh, we've been trying to answer questions that we will have as people. And I want you to know that it's okay to have doubts in your life, and it's okay to have doubts in your mind. Uh, sometimes you can come to church, and uh, I want to be positive, and I want to have a great perspective but I think we would be naive to think that there's moments people don't have doubts. And if they voice those doubts, sometimes I felt like I would be ostracized, like you don't believe, you ain't got enough faith. And what I've realized is, no, I can have the doubts, but I got to believe in the seed more than the doubts. So I got to believe in what God's doing more than what I'm experiencing. And sometimes you can see what he's doing and sometimes you can't. It's kind of like I was telling you, God working behind the scenes but it's okay for us to express the doubts that we have. Look at what the psalmist said in Psalm 94, 19. He says, when doubts fill my mind. He didn't say if doubts fill my mind. He said, when doubts fill my mind. It's okay. They're, they're going to fill my mind at times. He says, God, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. That there's moments when I'm going to have doubts. There's moments when I'm going to have concerns or fears. But God, you give me hope. In the midst of those circumstances that though I'm walking through that situation, I'm not going to stay in that situation. And what we've got to be careful of is that the pains of life and the disappointments of life don't cause us to have a wrong perspective of God. Uh, you may not understand all the situations and you may not understand why bad things happen and that's okay and you can express some doubts and concerns, but don't let that doubt turn to a lifestyle of disbelief. Like, let's address the questions, let's talk about it, let's uncover the answers and we talked in the first week, if we're going to go look for the answers, we got to go to the one who has the answers. And we know that that's God. We, we know that the Bible is God's infallible word. It's not just a good book that was given to us. It's infallible. There are no mistakes. It is God's word. It is alive. It is breathing. It is responsive. And so for us as a church, you know, I, I didn't come to give you a self-helps message. I came to share with you what the word of God said. Because that's where we need to look for the truth when we have questions in our life. And so... Uh, that's what we're going to do this morning. I want to go into Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. Uh, we were here last week, uh, and we're going to continue the conversation this weekend. Again, if you missed it, go back and listen to the podcast, watch the video, go on Facebook, it's on there. You can look it all up by Anchor Ben TX. Uh, I encourage you to do so, but I want to read from the passage that we read from last weekend, but I'm going to go a little bit further than we went last weekend. This is the passage where Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. It's a city of great darkness, and he asked his disciples really two defining questions. The first one is, who do people say that I am? And then the second one is, who do you say that I am? And so in this passage, we see that God's truth redefines their perspective. That God downloads the truth of who his son Jesus is to Peter. Peter declares it and it redefines their perspective in their life. And then what we also see, and we're going to read it this morning, is once they identified who Jesus was, Jesus defines who Peter is. That there is this 
series of events that when we define God in our life, it now gives God permission to define who he created us to be. And we're going to pick up the story where Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? In verse 16, says, Simon Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus came back. God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. So look, it's not about head knowledge. It's about heart knowledge. God speaks to his heart who Jesus is. As my father in heaven, God himself lets you in on this secret of who I really am. Now I'm going to tell you who you are, who you really are. You're Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I'll put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to stand against it. In fact, we are the, the uh, response of this word in Peter's life. I mean, we are the church, full of life and full of energy, still growing and thriving. And part of it was because Jesus revealed Peter's identity. We are living off of his revelation today. It says, and that's not all. So he doesn't even stop there. Look, he says, you will have complete and free access to God's kingdom, keys to open any and every door, no more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no on heaven. Can I get an amen? I'm going to talk about when I don't know who I am. When I don't know who I am. Now, in this passage, we see that Jesus knew who he was. He affirms what God revealed to Peter in that moment. He says, yes, it is, as you said, I am who you said I am. Jesus was not confused about his identity. Jesus didn't have any doubt with who God called him to be. He knows who he is. He is the Son of God. Now, it didn't matter what anybody else thought. It didn't matter that some thought he was Elijah and the prophets and and John the Baptist. It didn't matter what public opinion said about him. Nothing caused him to doubt his true identity. He knew who he was. And I would propose it's because he knew who he was, he did not waver in his mission. Because he knew his identity, he knew who God created him to be, he never wavered in his mission. When things were going good in the good times, he's healing the sick, he's uh, healing blind eyes, he's cleansing the lepers, everybody loves him. Jesus does not waver, he stays faithful and committed. When the bad times come, when he's being persecuted, when he is being crucified and he's being hung on the cross, Jesus did not waver, he remained focused whether it was good times or bad times. The security of his love that was found in his father caused him not to waver based on the circumstances or opinions of others. Now, I have thought about this a lot. In fact, when I really shared the Easter message and about Jesus dying on the cross and the two thieves, you know, that message and all the research, I really began to focus on this thought that how could Jesus be so unwavering? Now, I know he was all God and all man, but the Bible says he was tempted in every way just like us. That he was still human. He still had emotions. He still had frustrations. He still experienced pain. The pain of rejection. The pain of abuse. The pain of people talking bad about him. I mean, he experienced the good times and the bad times just like us. And yet he never wavered. He continued to do what God put on the inside of him. 
And for me, you know, I grew up in a good family. I grew up in a good home. I went to church. But one of the things that I always struggled with is I've always felt inadequate. Anybody ever felt inadequate? Uh, anybody ever felt like you never measured up? It's like no matter how good you were, there was always someone better. No matter how good life was, someone's life was better. Then, then when you didn't do good, it was like, well, I knew I was a failure. I, never, I just never felt good enough. I felt like I always had to perform. And even to today, I still fight that. If I were to fight anything, it's the feeling of inadequacy. Like, God, are you sure you want me to pastor this great church? I mean, do you know who you have pastoring this church? Like, I mean, come on, somebody. Like, it's, it's this feeling of just like I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not talented enough. And, and regardless of what's on the inside, it's the lie of the enemy that we have to face. And, and so going through the message of Easter and even to now, what, what I realized was that sometimes I got lost in other people's dreams, I got lost in other people's expectations of my life. I began to live life a little bit confused, a little bit frustrated. I allowed people to tell me who I would become and circumstances to define my life. When I was doing good, I felt successful. And when I was doing bad, I felt like a failure. If someone said he wasn't good enough, then I felt like I wasn't good enough. I allowed people to define me and not God. And what I realized is Jesus was unwavering because it didn't matter about circumstances, didn't matter about people. What mattered was who his father said he was. He felt the love and the embrace and the acceptance of his father, that God gave him his identity, and that each and every one of us, I want you to know God has created us with an identity, that God's created you with a purpose and for a purpose, each and every one of you, you're not an accident. You didn't just have parents that said, whoops, you just showed up. Look, you might have been an accident to your parents, but you weren't an accident to God. Maybe your parents didn't plan for you, but I want you to know God still created you. That he knew what would happen. He fashioned and he formed you. And, and that every person you may feel like, I don't, I don't know, did God really want me to be here right now? Is there a purpose on the inside? Look at Psalm 139, 13 through 14. The psalmist says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That God knit you together in your mother's womb. Says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Can I get an amen? How many complex people? All my ladies are like, praise him, saints. And all my men are like, mm-hmm. Wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Look, God didn't make an accident. You're not just some leftover side note or afterthought. God created you with intentionality. He fashioned you. He formed you in your mother's womb. And the lie of the enemy is that you have no purpose and no real meaning in this life. Look at what Jeremiah says. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, Jeremiah is not speaking to you and declaring that to us. You're not a prophet to the nations. But it's the principle that we see here. God is speaking a principle that before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God knew you before you were born in the womb. He has set you apart. I want you to know every one of you have been set apart. See, I used to believe that you could be anything you wanted to be growing up. 
I mean, and I know that there are a lot of good-intentioned parents that say you can be anything you want to be when you grow up, and it sounds wonderful, and it sounds awesome, and to the world, that might be true, but to Christians, I want you to know that's really not true. You can't be anything you want to be in the world. You've got to discover who God created you to be in this world, that there is an intentionality. And so I have found myself telling my kids, I don't know what you'll do when you get older, but I know that together we can walk on this journey, that together we can discover how God fashioned you and how he formed you, that you have a personality and you have spiritual grace gifts. You know, your personality will tell you a little bit more about your dispositions, what you like, what you don't like, and then your spiritual giftings tell a lot about how God made you and fashioned you and formed you. That's what I love about our next steps. How many of you have been through next steps? How many? Of, it's amazing for us. You know, we, we, we created this process from my pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges in Church of the Highlands. We implemented it here because we understand the value of people discovering their purpose, people uncovering how God created you and how he fashioned you and formed you. And so every Sunday after every service, we have what we call next steps. It's four weeks four classes, and it, the whole thing is geared to help you discover your design because we believe design reveals destiny. That I understand how you made me, that there are some grace gifts. What's grace gifts? That means you couldn't earn it or deserve it. You're not, you're not gifted in that because you practice. You're gifted in that because God graced you to be gifted in that. The gift of hospitality or prophecy or, or, or all the things that God has given us. We understand that God, you deposited that in my life. The gift of administration. It just comes naturally. You see things and you start to organize them. And you're like, why don't you see it? Well, because I don't have the grace gift of administration. So use your gift and get us organized. Come on, somebody. But God has a purpose and a design for you. He created you and he fashioned you and he formed you. And apart from God, you will never discover your true identity. Why? Because God created you. So it's only in relationship with God do we uncover our true identity and understand who God's called us to be. In this life. And there, my concern is that there are so many Christians that have no idea how God created them. They don't, they don't understand their purpose. They've never uncovered their identity. And so for us, we need to understand that God has an identity for me. That there is something he created me with and for and, and on purpose. And, and how did, if, if we have it... So, so this is what I would say, if we have one, how do I discover it? How do I understand my identity? And, and next steps is just a part of the process because Jesus uncovered his identity. Jesus understood how God made him. And so I want to take us on a little bit of a journey of how Jesus uncovered his identity. He discovered it through God, his father, that Jesus uncovered who he was because God shared with him who he was. God revealed to him his identity in this life. So, so we understand as people, look, we got moms and we got dads. And moms are amazing. Come on, give it up for mothers. Isn't it awesome? Love moms. Moms, you are the unsung heroes of our families. I know you're the thing that keeps the, the home together, the glue together. Phyllis is what keeps our home functioning and right and together. But what we understand it is, is really through the Father 
that a child discovers their identity. So think about that. See, when you were born, you didn't take on your mother's name. You took on your father's name. So I am a Kyle's. My mother's maiden name was Cootie. So, and, and yeah, someone's laughing. Thank God I'm not a Cootie. <laughs> Love it, Mama. Love Grandpa Cootie. It's awesome. I'm glad I didn't have that name growing up through school. But I'm a Kyle's. So the identity of who I am is given and passed on through the Father. Now, wouldn't that make sense as to why the devil is attacking families today? Doing everything he can to destroy the family unit. Trying to remove fathers out of the lives of their children. And it's because your identity is discovered through the heart of your father. See, your father is the one that identifies us as children. So think about this. What your father says over you matters. You're going to be amazing. You're a champion. You're a winner. You can do this. You're going to make it. How many know when your dad speaks that over your life, you're going to feel like a winner. You're going to feel like a champion. You're going to make it. You're going to think, I can do anything. Why? Because my father is with me. Think about this. When your dad says you're a loser, you'll never amount to anything. You're just like da-da-da-da. What do you think happens to that child? Their identity is formed and fashioned through the words of their father. They're going to feel like a loser. They're going to feel like they can't make it. They're going to feel like they were never amount to anything in their life. And when we see Jesus, the security of his life comes through the words and the affirmation of his father. I want to show you that. Look, there's three references to scriptures where God speaks from heaven to Jesus, and they're the only three that are recorded in the Bible. And I think when we look at them, you're going to see a pattern of what we need as we discover who God's called us to be, our true identity. There's two of them I'm going to read for us this morning. First one's found in Matthew chapter 13, verse 16. It says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, when heaven was open, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am... Just checking to see if you're there. Second time God speaks audibly to Jesus is really when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to the mountain. It's the mountain of transfiguration. And up there, God speaks and affirms who Jesus is. It says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my, whom I, with him I am, well pleased. And then he goes on, he says, listen to him. How many know we ought to be listening to the voice of God in our life? So we see a pattern, and it's really a pattern of three things that every child needs in their life from their father. The first one is acceptance. Every child needs to feel acceptance. You're mine. He said, look, you are my son. You're a Kyle's. Everybody needs to belong. Everybody needs to feel the feeling that they are marked by someone, that they are accepted by their father. That is my child. They are a Kyle's. The second thing every child needs is they need affection. I love you. Look, he says, whom I love. This is at the core of every child's heart and what we need to thrive as children. We need fathers who are affectionate to their children. Listen to me, dads. You have got to show your child affection. Now, appropriate affection. But look, when they're 12 years old, you ought to still be hugging them. I make my 12-year-old, Caden, he's almost taller than Phyllis now. 
And so I make him, come give me a hug, boy. I'm going to hug you. I hug him when I, when I go to sleep. Why? Because every child needs affection. Even now to this day, I hug my dad. He kisses me on the cheek. He says, I'm proud of you. Why? Because every person needs to feel affection from their dad. Every. And I get it. You know, sometimes you can say, well, no, I don't, I don't know. I'm just, I don't want all that touchy-feely stuff. But the truth is, most of the time you say that is because you've been hurt and you didn't get it. And when you don't get it, now you make an excuse and you say, I don't need it. I want you to know, even if you didn't get it, you still. That's what I love about our church, right? I, Paul, Paul, um, Martinez, it's so funny, he's been with us now for several years, and, and I know a little bit more of his story than most of you, but when he walked to the church, they found us probably about three years ago, and he walked up and he's like, man, it was a little, a little weird, everybody's hugging and high-fiving and handshaking, and he's like, I don't know if I like it. <laughs> he said, don't touch, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And uh, he said, you know, my walls were up. I just, I'd, I'd never walked into a place and had so many people want to hug me and give me a high five and a handshake. And if you're a guest here, I, I'm sorry if it made you feel uncomfortable, but we want to love you and make you feel love because we know that the love of God is in us to give away. And the crazy thing about Paul is he probably hugged you out on the breezeway this morning. That something has shifted in his heart. Now he's the biggest hugger ever. Why? Because everyone needs affection. You never get too old for that. And then the third thing that every child needs, every person needs, is affirmation. God says, I'm proud of you. With him I am well pleased. That we need to know that your dad is proud of you. That, that, that he, he, he believes that you've given your best, and even if you hadn't, that he still loves you, and he affirms you, and he, he's proud of you as a child. So first, we need acceptance. You're a Kyle's. Second thing is we need the affection, I love you. And I, I was thinking even about the whole I love you aspect. I'm learning this principle from my pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges. He's the one that really has revealed so much to me in my life, uh, in the later parts of my life. And a couple of weeks ago, Phyllis and I were having lunch. Uh, Fridays is our day off, and so for her and I, we go on dates during the day while my kids and all my chitlins are at school, and we were having lunch, and if you ever try to get us on a Friday, you'll probably never get in touch with us, except this one day, the phone rings, and we didn't know the number. Uh, Phyllis thought it was someone else, but she picks it up and says, hello, and it is the principal from Williams Elementary. I mean, no, that's not a good call to get uh, while we're eating lunch. And so we're talking, and she's like, really? Mm, 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 mm. And, oh, my gosh. And, and, and she gets off the phone. I said, baby, what's happened? She said, one of our daughters is in the principal's office. Now, I'm not going to tell you which one because I'm going to protect the guilty. <laughs> I got two, so you'll never know which one. And don't go ask them. Don't go ask them. But it was a big deal. She got in serious trouble enough for the principal to say she cannot go back to class until you or one of you come and see me here and we can talk. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I, Phyllis, I'm like, well, you go. She's like, no, you go. I'm like, no, you go. And, she, no, and so I said, okay, I'll go. I, I, I pay tribute. I'll go. And uh, so, so I go and I'm sitting in the principal's office now. It was the funniest thing. That secretary, I'm sweating bullets. Like, I'm nervous. How many parents have been to the school? I'm like, I'm a grown man. Why am I? Like, you can't spank me anymore. <laughs> like, I, 
y'all don't even do corporal punishment. Do you remember the day? How many ever got corporal punishment? Like, I, all you youngins, like, y'all don't know nothing about it. Like, they, they call us. Back in the day, we played sports, and it, it was like a badge of honor. Not for us, but for the coaches. Like, they had paddles. They, these were like supercharged paddles. They had holes in them. Do you guys remember that? Like, my, pat, my, my uh, coach was so cruel, they drilled holes in the paddles. That's so the aerodynamics would light you up. And they used to make jokes about how high you would come off the ground. Now, they didn't make it to your face, but you heard the rumors. Like, it was only good if both feet came off the ground. And, but we acted right, didn't we? Come on, somebody. We, we, we got it straight. So, so they don't even do corporal punishment, but I just remember being so nervous. It was just a couple of weeks ago, and I'm in there, and then I'm thinking, okay, Pastor Kyles, your child is here. Come on. And uh, the first thing, and, and this is what I'm learning, the first thing I did, I, I realized this, my first interaction when a child is in trouble like this is going to set the course positive or negative. And so I sat down and my daughters hugged me and said, and I just took her and I just said, listen, I want you to know I love you. And she, she just kind of sat there and said, listen, no, look at me, look me in the eyes. Like, we're going to deal with this, but before we go any further, you got to know that daddy loves you. And I love you regardless of what you do, regardless of what's happened. We're, we're going to deal with consequences in a minute. I mean, are we going to have some consequences? And some of us, you've just got to know this. Look, God loves you. Regardless of whether or not you have an earthly dad that will ever tell you that, God loves you. And it's not based on your performance. It's based on who you are and the value of your life. And we have too many insecure adults walking around because they never got the affirmation of an earthly father. I want you to know if that's you, there is hope. God wants to affirm you. God wants to love you. God wants you to be secure in his love and that it is unconditional love for you from the father. And it's okay. Listen, I, I, I get it. I understand. But the thing is, we can't allow that to cripple us our entire life. We've got to know that God loves us. And, and, and look, when you become a Christian, you are now a child of God. Someone said, well, yeah but, yeah, but am I really? Yes. Look at John chapter 1, verse 20. It says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who did believe in his name, he gave the right to become, the right to become, Children of God, you're a child of God. Regardless of whether or not your earthly dad is around, regardless of what you grew up with, you are a child of God. You are his son, you are his daughter, and your identity can only be found in your heavenly father. And I realize that people still struggle with their identity. Because of this, you will never know who you are until you know whose you are. You belong to God. You, you've given your life to Christ. You've experienced salvation. You belong to Him. And if you don't know who you are, you're going to let people and circumstances define your identity. People define you how they meet you, but God defines you by how He made you. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. People will define you in your mess. Oh, if you knew them, they're an addict. Why? Because they met you when you were strung out on drugs. They're an alcoholic. Why? Because they met you in your mess when you were out drinking alcohol. They're going to define you by the mess they find you in, but God doesn't define you by your mess. He defines you by your purpose. 
And that He created you with a purpose. That He loves you unconditionally. And, and look, it's not even about you being in a mess. They can define you by your success. They can say, oh, well, they're a successful businessman. They're a successful doctor. They're a successful lawyer. They're a successful teacher or engineer. Whatever it is they want to define you with. And it sounds good and great. But here's the question. What happens when everything's not going great in your life? You begin to try to perform. Your identity now becomes in what you did and not in who you are. And if you define yourself in your success, you'll be full of pride. If you define yourself in your mess, you're going to be full of despair. Both ends are wrong. God never intended for us to be defined by either. God wants to define us himself. And what we see is that Peter allowed God to define him, that Jesus begins to speak into him, you are a rock. Now, isn't that interesting? You're a rock. Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him. You're a rock in your denial. Jesus knew Peter would go back to fishing and give up hope. Jesus said, look, you're a rock even in the midst of your hopelessness. Jesus knew the circumstances, but he also understood that identity supersedes circumstances. Because we also know that later after Peter would spend time in the upper room, he would come down and preach a message, the first message to the masses, the Jews, and they would come to know Jesus. Thousands would come to know him. Why? Because his mess didn't define him, his identity did. We also know that later Peter would give his life. Why? Because of his identity. When we discover our identity, God can unlock our destiny. He unlocks it. He unlocked it for Peter and he can unlock it for us. That even when you fall back, when you fall down, when life is rough, when you discover your identity, you will get back up. I remember in my early 20s, it was 2003, seven months after God had radically saved me and Phyllis, seven months. Most of you that know my story, that, that if you've heard it, in 2003, February 7th, God radically saved me and Phyllis, changed us forever. And in that time, we had owned a business, a restaurant. We had about 30 employees doing great. And after we gave our life to Christ, it was like, man, everything was amazing. Like, it was, it was bonkers. Like, like the, the restaurant was exploding. We had people standing out the door. God had told me a couple of things to do, three things I felt the Holy Spirit lead me to do, and one of them was we had opened up on Sundays, and I felt like the Lord says, shut back down on Sundays. We shut down and did more in six days than we ever, ever did in seven. We began to feed the homeless. We would bustle them in. We'd go to our church, and then I, I told all my employees, I said, hey, we're going to feed the homeless. We're just going to love on them. You don't have to come. Every one of them came every Sunday. I mean, we're doing amazing things. The restaurant's blowing. It's exploding. or growing, and it's exploding. It's, it's awesome, and and I forget, about seven months later, I, I walk up to the restaurant, un, uh, you know, unbeknownst to me, oblivious, and I walk up, and the restaurant was shut down, closed. And there was a nasty note on the door from the landlord. He had evicted us, and for no good reason. So I walk out, and I'm, I'm standing there, all my employees are like, hey, it, it looks like you hadn't paid your bills. I'm like, bro, I paid my bills. Like, I paid every bill, like, like we're doing, like, life, like, like, I'm good, like, what in the world is going on? Try to call, can't get an answer, nothing. And it says, if you try to break in, we will arrest you. And I'm thinking, this is my place, what are you doing? Unbeknownst to me, he had come in a couple of months earlier, 
and was envious of what the restaurant was doing. They'd never done it before. So he wanted that place. Well, I didn't know all this. Go to court, fighting in court. I'm thinking, I, I hadn't even done anything wrong. I hadn't done anything wrong. Go to court, it takes eight weeks to get a judgment to get back in. By then, how many know the restaurant's destroyed? My reputation's destroyed. We lost the restaurant, just, just lost it, didn't do anything wrong. You know, sometimes I think, well, I can understand. Like seven months ago, God, I was partying. You should have taken it. Come on, somebody. You know, like I was messing up. I was an idiot back then. You should have just, if you'd have taken it, I would have understood. I'd been like, yeah, I'm an idiot. But now I'm saved. We're feeding the homeless. We're doing all these good things. We're tithing on the business. We're, I mean, God, you're moving. And I walk up and look at this, like, like what in the world? And all I knew was to just go get some jobs. And so for me, I just, you know, we, we, we shut it down and it was shut down. And I go get three jobs and work in construction. See, because we, we lived on one lifestyle and now I got properties. We'd own some real estate. And how many know that when bad things happen, it's like, it's not just one thing. It's like it's a bunch of things. Every one of our renters moved out, our duplex, another house. And then I can't even pay the mortgage on the house that I have. I mean, it's not looking good, somebody. It's like good. And I'll never forget this time. I'm just thinking, God, I, I, I got angry. I was mad. How could you? Like, you know, I, I get it. And so, you know, the, the, the thoughts of, look, I'm doing good. Like, I, people are saved on this restaurant through us bussing in the homeless. How could you do this? I don't understand. And then one of the jobs I got, so I was working construction. I was speaking for Making an Account Monster. The other one was this, because I knew you could make good money at the roadhouse. You go to the roadhouse, you'll better tip them well. And I just knew we needed cash, and I could wait tables at night, do construction in the day, got three jobs. And so here's the most embarrassing part about it. I would wait tables on the people that would visit me in the restaurant that I once owned. And you know, they wouldn't say it to your face, but I was only 20-something years old, so they're like, boy, he sure is an idiot, mismanaging his funds, lines out the door. How does a restaurant close when you're that busy? Boy, he's an idiot. Every day, I just, I'm an idiot. Okay, whatever. Waiting tables. And I never forget, I got into this really dark place. If you've ever lost anything, it's one of the worst things that's ever happened to me. And my mom is a counselor and there was this thing called Dimensional Journey. She said, look, you just got to go to this experience, this encounter weekend. I'm like, I don't want to go. Like, are you kidding? I'm working. And she's like, listen, I'm telling you, it's already paid for. You need to go. And so me and Steve goes. He, he, he knew that if he didn't go, I wasn't going to go. So I'm going and I'm thinking, yeah, I, I need something. I, I, you know, I'm about to lose the house, losing my cars. Everything's being foreclosed on and repossessed. And here's a miracle. Nothing got repossessed. Nothing got foreclosed on. God miraculously turned it around. But in the midst of this, we go to this encounter weekend. And I don't remember all of it, but there was a defining moment in this seminar. And I don't even think my heart was open to a lot of it. I was just angry. I was frustrated. But this one question they asked was on a Saturday morning, just before the Thing was going to, it was the last exercise I did. They said, who are you? And I thought, well, that's, a, that's an interesting question. What do you mean, who am I? I mean, my name's Jim. What's your name? 
That's who I am. He said, we know your name. Well, what's your identity? Well, I don't know what my identity is. I used to be a restaurant owner. I used to be a successful young businessman. I used to be someone that people looked up to. Yeah, yeah, but those are things you do. That's not who you are. Who are you? I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am. I'm a failure. They said, no, you might have failed, but you're not a failure. They just, they just kept going on. You're frustrated. You're sitting there. They said, well, here's a pen. Here's a piece of paper. Just sit there, and when you get it, you'll get it. <laughs> I'm like, awesome. And they're playing worship music because it was a Christian thing, and, and I felt like it was a defining moment. I felt like God said, if you'll get this right, everything else is going to fall into place. Because God doesn't allow things to happen by happenstance, but on purpose. He's got a plan. He didn't make the bad thing happen, but he can use that bad thing to refine you, to cause you to rise up out of the ashes. And in the middle of that, it was just something came up. Here's, here's what came up. 15 years ago, I am a general organizing the greatest spiritual revolution the world has ever seen, walking intimately with God, relaxed and fully confident that I cannot fail, moving in His supernatural power and authority, bringing heaven to earth. And I remember I showed Steve and I'm like, and, this, and she's, of course, they made everybody go around. And at the end, I just said, I don't feel like, like I, I don't really want to say this. And Steve, my brother, he's like, bro, say it. Bro, you're a general. You're a general, brother. You're a general. <laughs> I don't feel like a general. I feel like a failure. Come on. You're leading a spiritual. I don't feel like it. I'm just trying to pay my bills. And I forget. They had me say it. It's not for you, it's for me. See, your identity is not for them, it's for you. Why? Because when you know your identity, the storms of life will never knock you out. They may knock you down, but you're going to get back up. And so what I realized was I was a general. See, I was a general while I was waiting tables. At Roadhouse. Didn't feel like it. Didn't look like it. Didn't act like it. I was a general. Leading a spiritual revolution. Doing construction. Didn't feel like it. See, I, I realized that I really stepped into my destiny five years ago launching this church. It took me ten years of knowing my identity to walk me into my destiny. And someone said, well, you didn't have money. Yeah, no, money doesn't come through circumstances. It comes through calling. You didn't have it all put there. No, 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 it's okay. Everything I need doesn't happen through circumstance. It's through the calling of God. So every season, God, I'm a general. I don't know what I need to learn, but I need to learn something in this season. I'm not operating as a general, but that's okay. Show me what I need to learn, what I need to put in my tool belt, what I've got to develop because you are calling me to walk in my destiny as a general leading a great spiritual revolution. <clears throat> Why do I tell you that? I'm just telling you my journey. 
And now look at us. This is, and who knew that? If you'd asked me 15 years ago, I'll never forget telling Phyllis, I'll do anything but pastor. Anything. I, how could you stay in the same city with the same people doing the same thing? Like, it just, uh, and you know, today I couldn't imagine doing anything but pastoring. Why? Because I've realized if I can help shift and change your hearts, you'll shift and change this city. That if I lead you well... You'll lead wherever you go well, that Jesus will be glorified. And, and so what's my point? My whole point to this is that have you uncovered your identity? Not what you do, but who you are. See, when you know who you are, it will impact everything you do. That circumstances may come, but you said, that, that, that's, I'll, I'll walk this out, God, but that doesn't define me. You define me. It may feel like me, 10 years, 10 years to even get it. And even when we started it, I thought, good Lord, can somebody show up? Hopefully somebody will show up. I didn't have all the relationships that I have now. I didn't, it didn't, and so you just keep walking it out. And someone asked, you know, where are you headed? I said, I'm a general organizer. So my life ain't done. When my life is done, we'll close the books. So what are you going to do? I'm going to keep loving God. I'm going to keep following hard after him. I'm going to keep spending time with him. I'm going to keep calling out who I am. That plaque is still in my office today. Why? Because it's who I am. My identity defines what I do. And so here we see Jesus declares his identity. You are a rock. So I want you to know this. Look, some of you have never uncovered your identity. Ask God. It's not easy. You're going to have to walk through some pain. You're going to have to get in an environment. You're going to have to turn off your phone. You're going to have to get in some worship. They, they had worship playing, and I just I felt like something unlocked it. So you can stay stuck, or you can work hard to discover. It's the pain of trying to discover it or the pain of living out having not discovered it. Feeling like you're lost, like you've got no purpose, like... I'm just trying to exist. God, don't want you just to try to exist. And if we could have a church full of people that have uncovered their identity and living out their destiny, revival is going to come to this city. It's going to come to this region. It's going to come to your family, to your workplace, to everywhere you are. Why? Because you will carry it with you everywhere you go. You know, this morning, I wonder if we could just pray over those of you that maybe have some father wounds. That you've never been affirmed by your dad and maybe he's in your life, but he's never given you any of the things that I shared with you. Maybe he's not in your life. You don't even know who he is. I want you to know God is your father and that he affirms you. He loves you. He declares that you are his. But you got to walk through the healing of that absent father. Stop allowing people to define you. Stop allowing circumstances to define you and allow God to define you. He made you. But you got to be healed. Just say, God, heal me. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? Maybe if that's you this morning in this moment, maybe you could just tell him, Father, heal my heart. Free me from the pain of the absent father. Some of you dads, maybe you need to repent. First to God, maybe... Secondly, to your kids and just say, hey, listen, I didn't get some of the things that I heard this morning. And so I just was de deficient in that area, but I'm going to change that. And from here on out, I'm going to do what I need to do to make you feel loved and affirmed and give you affection.
and acceptance. I know for me, I'm praying that in my life with my kids. God, let me be a great dad. Let me affirm them. Maybe that's you here this morning. And others of you, maybe you've got to discover. When I tell you my mission statements, my personal mission statement, you don't have one. You've done this thing and that thing, and you've moved from here to there, and you've never really identified who God created you to be. I wonder if you could just ask God to just begin to reveal it to you. Just, who am I, God? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And start the journey. I, I would challenge you, even this week, set aside some time. Set aside some time and just say, God, I'm going to meet with you. God, I'm going to spend some time. I'm going to worship. I'm going to pray. I'm, going to, I'm asking you reveal who you created me to be, not who others have said I am. Don't allow circumstances to define you. Don't allow people to define you. Father, I pray over your people. Lord, I pray this morning, God, that you help us uncover who we are truly. God, that we would listen to your voice and Holy Spirit speak to us that we're not an accident. Though our parents may have not planned us, you created us. It's not an accident to you. There's something on the inside of each and every person. And God, I'm asking you to help them clearly identify who they are, their identity. And that, Lord, as they do that, then their behavior would reflect who you created them to be. And Father, we praise you for what you're doing. God, that you heal hearts, that you heal wounds, that, God, you help us as a church to be a church full of men that affirm our children. We're on a journey of hope and healing and health. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Some of you have never experienced salvation. When I talked about John chapter 1 and how God says to those that have received him, those that have committed their life to him, those that have experienced salvation, when you confess Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says we will be saved. But some of you, you've never experienced that. I want you to know this is your moment. The love of a heavenly father is in this place right now. And he's ready to mark you and say, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. But the Bible says we take the step. He's already taken the first step. We take the next step in response. And I believe there are some of you here in this place with heads bowed, eyes closed. You're ready to respond. You're ready to say, God, I need you as my father. Jesus, I confess you as my Lord. And from this moment on, I will live for you all the days of my life. I believe there are some of you here in this place right now. That's you. And if that's you, I'm not going to ask you to step forward. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. But I am going to ask you with heads bowed and eyes closed to raise your hand as an act of surrender. If that's you, you just say, that's me. Raise your hand up high. See your hands. Raise them up high. That's me right now. God, I surrender everything. Jesus, I confess you as Lord. Hands up all over. Come on, church. Tell them how proud you are of them. Man.